Hello, everybody, and welcome once again as we continue on in our study that we're doing in the uh, New Testament. We're sort of moving through it verse by verse. We are up to Matthew chapter 3. We've come a long way. And uh, <laughs> three, verse, three chapters in, and we're going to continue on in our discussion of, uh, of the events in Matthew. And uh, so let's just hop right in here. I want to read to you Matthew chapter 3. Uh, it's there in your bulletin as well, or you can move along and follow along in your Bibles. Matthew 3, beginning at verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And John himself was clothed in, was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Mmm. Um, sounds yummy, doesn't it? Then Jerusalem, well, see, the locusts by themselves, not so appealing, but wild honey and locusts. Now we're talking. Yeah. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism... He said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the, shaft with un, uh, the chaff with unquenchable, unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So, um, we're, we're moving now into, uh, sort of a time has elapsed uh, in, in uh, what's been happening. The last thing we were talking about was sort of the, the birth of Jesus and, and uh, how he was being you know, whisked around and back and keeping him safe and all those things. And now... Years have passed, and, and it's a time for the ministry of Jesus to begin uh, to take place. And um, John the Baptist arrives on the scene, and he's the first prophetic voice that we have record of since Malachi. So a period of about 400 years has lapsed, and there has not been prophetic uh, movement to the nation of Israel. There's been a, a quiet time. 
At least that, that's what we believe. Um, for some, the, the, the books that fill that time is the Apocrypha, uh, which is part of the Catholic Bible. Um, our Protestant Bible doesn't include those books. So uh, that's just a, an area of disagreement. But it is what it is. Anyway, um, we think that uh, there was this, this quiet time of 400 years between Malachi and when John the Baptist comes. And John the Baptist comes with a very sort of in-your-face message that wasn't very well received by the religious leaders of the day. The religious leaders of the day, when you read about them, are generally represented by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Um, they were two different sort of orders of, of rabbi. And, and uh, the Pharisees were, you know, they're very religious. They at least believed in uh, an afterlife and those sort of things. The Sadducees didn't believe in any of that, which is why everybody always says they were sad, you see. Because... Uh, So it's actually a mnemonic device. It's how you remember the difference between the two groups. The Sadducees thought that this was it. So they're very sort of cut and dried about the whole deal. Anyway, um, they're offended by what's taking place, and, and we'll begin to talk about that. Why? But uh, John's message was pretty much in your face, and it has two components. Um, it has a soteriological component. It, that means the study of salvation. It's a big word. But every once in a while, I think you ought to know some of these words, all right? Soteriology is the study of salvation. And the other component is eschatological. Thank you. And uh, that's eschatology, which is the study of the end times, or relating to the end times. So his message had two components. One was about salvation, and one was about the end times. Encapsulated in repent, which had to do with salvation, and the kingdom of heaven is at hand, which has to do with the beginning of the end times. Now, we spend lots of time talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and what that means, the now and the not yet, that Jesus came and inaugurated the kingdom. It's not fully coming until he comes back. We're living in an inaugurated eschatology. There's another fancy word. And I'm sure you won't be able to use in conversation anywhere. But, uh, but nonetheless, there's a word for you. Um, it means we live in the beginning of the end times. We, we're in the end times, but we're in the beginning of the end times. And they've been going on since Jesus' time. So it's been quite a process. But we are in this tension of the now and the not yet. Um, we get a taste of what's to come. And we, we've looked at that in depth about how a taste is better than, than nothing. Like, you know, at a banquet, a taste is, is not the banquet, but it's not bad. That's better than, than no taste at all. And, and so we have a, a tasted of those things. Um, our faith encourages us to pray and ask for the kingdom of God to break through now into this place because he's going to ultimately, and he does. We, we see the kingdom of heaven break through all the time. Does it always break through when we want it to? No. And that's the, the part of the deal that we have. That's just where we're at. This isn't heaven. This isn't the end. This is preparation this is moving us our way there. But, but, uh, but this message that the kingdom was now at hand, was near, was starting, is an integral part of everything that we believe and everything that we do. It's the now and the not yet. It's here. It's not fully here. And so that helps to balance out all sorts of scripture. Because there's all sorts of scripture that says it's here. It's not here. It's coming. It has come. And you, it's because it's, it's here, but it's not fully here. So, so John the Baptist is making that known. The other part or component of his message is this idea of repentance. And it was the idea of repentance that was the hardest one for the religious leaders to swallow. See, they, they were ready, and we talked about this. They knew and, and were looking for the coming kingdom. 
Remember, I told you the disciples, that's all they could, they couldn't hardly stand it because they had and knew the. We've talked about this. The, the, the people of the day, the Jewish people of the day, knew the scripture. It was a part of their culture. They didn't have TV. It was what they did. As children, they learned it. And they repeated it. And they memorized huge chunks of it because they didn't have a copy. And so from children, they were taught, all of them were taught the first five books, what we know as the Pentateuch. And, and then the ones who picked that up learned the next chunk. And the ones who did really good at that learned the rest of it, all 39 books of the Old Testament. And there were many uh, of these rabbinical scholars who could recite from memory all 39 books of the Old Testament. And uh, apparently they tell me it still happens in rabbinical schools today, that, that most of those students can... can recite to you all 39 chapters, books, not chapters, 39 books of the Old Testament. And uh, fascinating stuff when you think about it. It's a lot of memory. Um, I'm lucky to get 39 words memorized. Anyway, they would have known the Scriptures. So they knew the king was coming, and they were looking for the return of the Davidic kingdom. And they'd been under oppression from Rome and, and uh, other countries for so long. That's all they wanted for them. The disciples, remember, they're always saying, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And we know what happened. Jesus, it wasn't the time. It's when he comes back the next time that he does that. This time he came to make a way for salvation. And, and so John is, uh, has got the task of preparing people. And he first confronts the religious people of the day. See, they didn't like his message because they had no concept that entrance into the kingdom was going to have to do with repentance. They thought that just being children of Abraham guaranteed them entrance into Messiah's kingdom. And John says it's not the case. And so they didn't, they didn't like it. They, they, they were offended by the message. And uh, what John was preaching was a change in heart, mind, attitude. That's what repentance is. And repentance is still necessary today. We have to repent and humble ourselves to prepare the way of the Lord in our own lives today, just as it was then. And, and there's a lot that needs to be done to make room in a heart for Jesus. And, and the task is simple. It starts with a prayer, but then it's a process. And we talk about that all the time. And that's what's going on. And it begins with repentance. Listen, everybody's walk with Christ begins with repentance. If you don't think you need to repent, you don't need, you don't need a Savior. If you don't get that you've sinned, there's no need to be saved. And so none of your walk with Christ started without a realization that you were a sinner. And that the response was to repent. Because it's true. And we, we quit fighting it. We quit denying it. We quit trying to cover it up. We quit saying, yet I'm a good person. It doesn't, it's not the issue. You're a sinner. You repent. And repent means it's an attitude, it's a change of the heart, the attitude and the mind. It admits to God that you've sinned and, and then asks forgiveness and to receive the gift of salvation that comes in Christ. And so it's just as important today as it was back then. Nothing's really changed. The message has stayed consistent. It's a, it's a perfect gospel presentation. Repent because the kingdom of heaven is here. And Jesus is coming back. It's inaugurated, but you better get in before he comes back. And that's sort of what the rest of the, the chapter is all about. Now, 
Um, John's message is a fulfillment of a couple of prophecies. Um, one is in Isaiah 40, verse 3. I, I, you can write down and look it up later if you want. I left you lots of room to fill in, the, fill in the, lots of room for notes, I hope. Isaiah 40, verse 3. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. And Malachi chapter 3. Most of Malachi 3. And actually, if you read Malachi and read chapters 3 and 4, you'll see how they lead in to John the Baptist. It's, it's like a, a perfect discussion of what's about to happen and what takes place. But Malachi 3.1 says, See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Pretty cool stuff. So, uh, John comes... And he's dressed similarly to Elijah. He's wearing clothes of camel hair and a belt. How do we know that's how Elijah dressed? Second Kings 1.8. Write that down. Look it up later. Second Kings 1.8. They replied, he was a man with a garment of hair and with a leather belt around his waist. The king said, huh, that was Elijah, the Tishbite. Second Kings 1.8. So he came dressed similarly. He was rugged like uh, uh, Elijah and he had this message. Also, I think it's fascinating that he preaches in the desert. And I think what he's doing is he's preparing people for the separation that they would have to go through from the religious system of that day. See, because Jesus didn't come to affirm the religious system of the day. In fact, he came to say, what are you guys doing? You're, you're, you're making it impossible for people to come to know me. And so he was, he was constantly confronting the system. And remember, they hated him for it. You know, they hated him. For, and all they were trying to do the whole time was kill him. But, but John starts preparing the way by taking people out into the desert, not a situation they were used to, and preaching. And listen, it's pretty much, I mean, like you guys would be freaked out if I came in here wearing camel hair and a leather belt, wouldn't you? Maybe you're used to it by now. I don't know. They go, just look at me and go, yeah, nice outfit. <laughs> I can't imagine wearing camel hair anyway, but nonetheless. It was not what they were used to. And so he was shaking them up. See, he was preparing them. His, look, all of us have to break free from the religiosity that's around us. Um, most of us, when we're not careful, get, get quickly... We move from the, this life-giving relationship with God to a religious sort of thing very quickly and it's not how it's supposed to work. Because generally, religion is very cold, hard-hearted, tough, mean, law-driven. And that's not God. And so, so we have to move into relationship and that's what John is preparing these people for by being in a different place, by dressing differently and by giving them a completely different message of anything that they'd ever heard before. And yet scripturally and prophetically accurate and true. Um, in Matthew 3.11, John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, the people that heard those words would have understand that he was referring to two Old Testament prophecies. One is in Joel, chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. Write that down and go look it up. Joel, chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. 
It says this, And afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. And so, old men dream dreams and young men see visions. That's always one of those tests. So are you dreaming or seeing visions? (laughs) I'm sticking with visions for a while. If I'm dreaming dreams, I ain't telling you. I'll just call them a vision. (laughs) It was a vision while I was asleep. Does that matter? (laughs) That's one prophecy. Pouring out of the Spirit. The second prophecy is back in Malachi, chapter 3, verses 2 through 4. That's why it's such a crucial book to understanding Matthew 3. But who can endure the day of His coming? Who can stand when He appears? For He will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who bring offerings in righteousness and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. Now, uh, he's referring to the judgment of fire. It happens at the end. And, and uh, only ultimately it's like this. If you, if you haven't caught the first part and repented and, and gotten Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's not going to be a good situation for you. And, and he's referring to the last days and that ultimate and final judgment. John sort of expands on this in verses 12 and 13. John the Baptist does. Uh, Matthew expands on it. See, you're talking a lot of different... Matthew writes about what John the Baptist says in verses 12 and 13, because he carries on this train of thought. He says this, His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable, unquenchable fire. And so uh, he's, he's saying, listen, there's, there's something that's coming. And people that repent they, and sincerely repent, they're going to be able to enter into the kingdom of God. Those who don't, won't. They won't make the cut. They're going to get torched by the purifying fire and they won't be able to stand up to it in their own righteousness. It won't last. And, and again, the, the religious leaders of the day saying, what are you talking about? We're, we're children of Abraham. We're in. And, and John's response to that is, he could turn these stones into children of Abraham. He's basically saying there's a people that are going to respond. There's a remnant that's going to come. And, and that flow happens throughout the text, and we've seen it in our other studies. So uh, this is all taking place. Now, John's out there baptizing, and Jesus shows up. Jesus comes. In Matthew 3.13, it says, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tries to deter him, saying, I, I need to be baptized by you, and you, you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So John consented. Now, I think that's an interesting thing because baptism, as we understand it, was a, uh, a response in repentance for sinners. Well, we know one thing for sure. Jesus never sinned. So that wasn't the deal. We also know that, that baptism isn't a requirement of the law. It's not in the book. It's not part of the Levitical law. Why did Jesus say, let's do it in order to fulfill all righteousness? Here's what I I think is is happening. John's message is a message of repentance. And those who are experiencing it are looking forward to a coming kingdom. Jesus comes and 
by being baptized, he identifies himself with us. He's so good about doing that. Because he was going to go to the cross on our behalf as well. And it's a picture of his identification with us. Just as our, when we're baptized, it's a picture of our identifying with him. And so, Jesus just won't be outdone. And he comes and offers this act of humility uh, so that he can connect with us. So that when our turn comes, we connect with him. See, that's the picture of baptism when you go under the water. You're connecting with him in his death. When you come out, you connect with him in his resurrection. It's, a, it's an amazing symbol and picture. That's why it's so important. And it pictures a, 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 a repentance. It's, it's true. It's a, a matter of heart and change and attitude. Uh, heart and, and mind and attitude change that's taking place. And so he connects with us in this process. And then it says in verse 16, As soon as Jesus was baptized... He went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. I think it's neat because this is one of those occasions when all three persons of the Trinity are present. And you see them all involved in the process. The Father who speaks of his Son, the Son who's being baptized, and the Spirit who descends on the Son as a dove. And, and the descent of the Spirit empowers Jesus, Messiah, for His kingdom ministry that begins in the very next chapter. And so, that's how everything is fitting together so far in Matthew chapter 3. Amen? Amen. Pass me your prayer requests and I will pray for you and get you out of here by 8 o'clock. Biblical scholars all. Now get off my lawn. Thank you.